Hey, this is Dan Altman, and welcome back to the Smarter Scout podcast, The Why in Analytics. Today, we're going to be talking about some building blocks for a model of the entire game of football, association football, or soccer. Now, earlier, we asked why we were measuring things in the first place. And we came up with a bunch of different reasons. But one of the ones that we want to focus on was how to help us win matches. And if your objective is to win matches, then you need a model of winning, or if you prefer, a model of points. But let's just say a model of winning for simplicity. This model has to be some sort of function that relates specific actions or situations during games, or outside of games if you prefer, to specific outcomes. You win, you lose, you draw. Okay, so we're going to make a function that can relate actions to these outcomes. And then our model will allow us to attach value to these actions and situations depending on how close it brings us to our outcomes. So when we change the inputs, we'll see how the outputs change, and that will give us some idea of how important the inputs are. Now, we'll be able to use this model to evaluate teams since wins are assigned to teams. But we also want to be able to break down the value of these actions and situations to evaluate players. And that's the challenging part. All right, So we're going to use this model to evaluate teams' chances of winning. We might be able to say things about teams and how much they'll be able to win in the future if our model is predictive. But we also want to be able to say things about players, how much they contribute to winning, and if we're lucky, how much they might contribute to winning in the future. Now, one such model, a really easy model, is a model of goals. We know that the team with more goals wins, so we can put goals for both sides into the model and we'll get some outcomes out in terms of win, lose, or draw. Each goal increases the chances of winning and players score goals. So we should be able to say something about teams and something about players using our model of goals. But let's imagine a match, let's say, that finishes 3-1. to one. The first team, let's call it Team A, scores a goal. And then Team B scores to even the score. Then Team A scores again. And then Team A scores a third time. That's the chronology of the game. We can attach changes in probability of winning to each goal, depending on where they happen during the game. And odds makers do this all the time. They have in-play odds where, depending on the score line at different times during the game, they'll say how likely they think it is that Team A or Team B will go on to actually win the game. And, hey, you know, that's useful for us because that's already telling us something about teams and how likely they are to win the game. Each goal is going to contribute to those probabilities, and we'll be able to take something out of that to assess how important the goals are and how powerful the team is. And, of course, we can also assign the goals to players, right? player scores a goal, that player probably is going to get some credit for it in our model. So, so far, so good. We've got a model. It's really simple. It can assign some value to the things that happen. It can tell us something about teams, and it can tell us something about players. Well, really, it's not quite so straightforward. First of all, which goal was most important? What about the first goal? Well, it was important to get on the board, but then Team B tied the score, so it wasn't enough to win the game. What about the second goal? And this is looking back. The second goal, well, it was the go-ahead goal, so that's definitely important. And then the third goal, well, it might depend when the third goal happened. How much did it really increase the probability of winning? But, you know, because a player scores in the 80th minute instead of the 60th minute, does that mean that he's a better or worse player? I, I don't know. And what about a goalkeeper who concedes in the 80th minute versus the 60th minute? Does that mean she's a better or worse goalkeeper? 
these are things that we might want to talk about. Oh yeah, what about the people who assisted the goal? Uh, you know, there was a pass that led to the shot where the goal was scored. Does that person get credit? What about the pass before that? And you know, what are the demerits that we're assigning to the goalkeeper? Uh, should we design, assign some of these demerits to the defenders as well? There are actually a lot of questions that we already involve ourselves in, even with a model of goals. And then there are some other issues that are kind of fundamental. You know, goals are pretty idiosyncratic. You can do the same actions one day and it results in a goal and the next day it doesn't. And there can be crazy stuff that happens that might influence whether a goal is scored or not. What if a player hits a beautiful shot and the ball strikes a bird in midair so it doesn't turn into a goal? Well, does that mean the player's not quite as good a player as we thought? You know, these are things that are going to affect us a lot because there aren't that many goals in the game. So our, our data are a little bit lumpy and we want to make sure that we can still get a signal out of the noise. So it means in a nutshell, from a statistical point of view, that goals may not be that predictive of long-term performance, especially early in a season because they're so idiosyncratic. So if we're looking for information from early in a season to try and help us predict how well clubs are going to do over the course of a season, which is information that doesn't just interest bookies and betters, but it interests the clubs themselves, then, then you know, we, we might want to use something else. And if goals are idiosyncratic, they can't easily be the foundation for player ratings either, at least over short periods of time, because a player might take a bunch of really good shots, and if none of them score... In our model, the player might not get any credit at all. So goals maybe are not the best thing for us to use. Well, what about a model of shots, right? I keep saying that a player's taking good shots and not scoring, so why don't we use shots? Hey, you know, there are a lot more shots. A typical season in a European league, you're going to have about 1,000 goals perhaps and about 10,000 shots. So you get 10 times more data. And that's great because you have the law of large numbers on your side. It's a bit less idiosyncratic. There's a little more signal in the noise. And it can be actually a bit more predictive in terms of how powerful these teams are and how likely they are to succeed in the future of our season. But, you know, if we're just looking at shots, the quantity of shots, we haven't said anything about whether the shots were from near or far away from the goal. We haven't said anything about the situations. And so we're leaving information on the table here. We know some shots are better than others. Also, think about the incentive effects of a model that rewards shots. Well, if the players found out that we were evaluating them based on taking shots, then they would take a shot from anywhere, right? A defender who makes it to midfield might have a crack because, hey, you know, otherwise he's not going to get any credit in our model. So we got to be a little bit careful about setting up incentives inside of our model as well. The way to get around some of these issues is to make sure that you're rewarding actions which are always going to help the team to win, not actions that just help you to get a better rating in the model. And if we want to do that and take some of that information back off the table, we might want to use something like expected goals, or as we call it with Smarter Scout, shot creation expected goals. When you're creating shots, we know that not all shots are created equal. What's the obvious way to rate shots? Well, a good way is by their chance of scoring. How often should they turn into goals? This way, we use not only the extra information, but we also create a building block for a model of the game that allows us to evaluate all the players on the pitch. Well, first of all, let's talk about the data that we might use for a model like this, or at least for a building block of a model. We can use historical data 
That means data from games that have already happened because the mechanics of the game really don't change much from season to season. You know, soccer is soccer, association football if you prefer. The game has had small changes in the laws from season to season. We know that there are international bodies that make tweaks to the laws about penalties and cards, things like that. But the overall dynamics of the game are pretty similar from season to season. Still, we don't want to go too far back in looking at our, at our data because within a league, the quality of strikers, defenders, goalkeepers, passers, it can all change, and it does change. So the conditions under which people are trying to score goals are not always exactly the same. But over a season or two, maybe three, we're probably not getting such major changes. Anyway, inside of that framework, how should we judge shot quality? Well, what are some of the things that we can measure that might affect it? Shot location seems pretty important, and it is, but how do we measure that? Well, one way is to look at the distance to goal, but you know, not all distances are created equal. Uh, 18 yards from the goal could mean that you're right at the edge of the penalty area facing the center of the goal, or it could mean that you're way outside wide and you have a very sharp angle to curl the ball in. So maybe we should look at the angle too. And there's actually another method that was pioneered by a company called Kicktex, I believe, where they said maybe the thing that matters is the striker's angle of sight on the goal. So you can imagine that the further away you move from a goal, the narrower your angle of sight is, and that makes it harder to strike the ball. But it also gets narrower the wider you get. So you know, the sort of the, they say sometimes that the goal mouth looks enormous to a striker. Well, that's what they're talking about. It might look very big, or depending on where you move, it might look smaller, and that might actually affect how easy it is to score the goal. Of course, there's a lot of other stuff besides location that could be important too. Was it a header? Or did the striker take it on his foot? Did he take it on his good foot? Does that matter? Did it come from open play or did it come from a dead ball? If the ball did come from a pass, how did it come in? What height was it? We can talk about lots of things. We can even talk about where the goalkeeper and defenders were. But that can actually be fairly tough to do unless you have tracking data. And tracking data is not usually available for lots of leagues at the same standard using exactly the same methods. So we typically, when we're scouting over a lot of leagues, we want to look at event data. If we do have tracking data, that's great. There's a whole much more information that we can use, but we can even get some information out of event data. For example, if we're trying to deduce the situation of the shot, we could ask, well, who did pass the ball? Where from? How far did the ball come and how fast in this move that led to the shot? These things can give us some idea about the pressure that was on the shot, even if we don't know where all the players actually were. But still, in all of this, we have to be careful about our assumptions. Now, what are we really measuring here? Are we measuring the striker's ability to create a chance because we're interested in evaluating the striker? Are we evaluating the passer's ability to create a chance because we want to evaluate him or her as a passer? Or are we really interested in the club's overall ability to create chances because we're more interested in how powerful the club is rather than the individual players? You know, we may want to actually stop measuring at different points in time as the shot is created, depending on the answer, especially when the quality of the chance can be determined by a player's actions before the shot. For example, imagine a shoulder-high ball comes into the box. The striker can try and head it, or maybe attempt an overhead kick or a sideways volley. Should the striker's choice affect the estimated chance of scoring? That's a fundamental question, right? Because it's about the agency of the striker versus the passer versus the club as a whole. Who are we really trying to get a bead on? Whose talent are we evaluating? 
again, we have to ask why we are measuring before we decide what to measure. Once we have decided what to measure, then we can move on to how. What's our statistical method really going to be? You know, usually we'll use some sort of regression, a statistical method that will help us to associate a binary variable like scoring or not scoring with some other factors that we think could be influential. So we have methods like logistics or probits that are known to statisticians, but we don't even have to get that complicated if our model isn't too complex in itself. For example, you could look square by square and say, just what is the probability of shot scoring from different locations on the pitch, right? Divide the pitch onto a grid and say square by square, I can just tell you which shot scored and which didn't, and I'll assign a probability historically based on that. And that's something that Paul Riley, a great analyst, did and showed that anybody could collect their own data and create their own model of expected goals without knowing a ton of fancy statistics. But once we do have something that we're happy with, we got to be a little bit careful about applying the same model across different leagues. Because again, just as we warned that looking over time, we could see that there were changes in the dynamics of a league based on the quality of the players, maybe even the tactics used, there can be big differences across leagues as well. A shot that might have a 20% chance of scoring in the Premier League might only have an 18% chance of scoring in the championship but we want to make sure that we're saying something about the quality of the players as well. It's a difficult thing to try and take the same model and port it to different leagues and, as I said before, over different periods of time. So we have to be sensitive to that as well. In fact, we constantly have to be updating the model in order to get the most accurate read on the players and the teams. Now, as a side note, this building block that we're working on now, shot creation expected goals, isn't by any means the only way of looking at our sport. When I started out looking for a model that could help me to understand the game as a whole so I could assign values to every action during the game, I first tried with a physics-based model. I assigned vectors to the players based on how much they moved the ball. So you could imagine each player had a vector that was the average of the ball movements that resulted from him or her touching the ball and the sum of these vectors or some transformation of these vectors or combination would give us some idea of the team's likelihood of winning. Well, to be honest with you, I didn't get very far with it. And it might be because I'm not a great physicist, but it was sort of a dead end. And then I started to work on ways that we could use expected goals as a building block for a model that would evaluate teams and players. So that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. How can we use this building block as part of an overall model of the game to evaluate teams and players. Because after all, we know expected goals are not the only thing in the game, right? We can estimate the average probability of scoring of all these shots. And we do that by looking at a lot of historical data and sort of averaging over that the likelihood of scoring from different situations and locations. But the people who are taking those shots and the goalkeepers who are trying to stop them are all different. So there are going to be some idiosyncratic factors there as well that we might tr want to try and measure, like finishing skill or shot-stopping skill. Those things are going to enter into our calculations as well. And by the way, if we're really trying to make a model of the game, well, we've got own goals and penalty goals too, which can be totally different situations. Some people consider them to be idiosyncratic and just totally noise, and some don't. So we have to decide whether we want to have those things in our model as well. 
but we're trying to create this really coherent model of the whole game that's going to allow us to evaluate teams and players and shot creation expected goals is one building block of one type of model. We'll discuss that more in the next episode and then we'll also move on in a further episode to a different model based on a different kind of expected goals that will give us the opportunity to evaluate players in a way that's complementary to what we do with shot creation expected goals. Well, thanks a lot for tuning in again. Hope you enjoyed it today. Hope you learned a lot. And we're going to come back with the next episode to tell you more. Now, one note before we go. We're very proud to announce that Smarter Scout has become the first advanced analytics provider to join Common Goal. You may know about Common Goal. It was co-founded by Juan Mata, the Manchester United player, as a way of helping people in the football industry to donate to worthy programs that help to advance the United Nations global goals. We have joined as an organization. That means we're going to be donating at least 1% of our revenue to support Common Goal, which works with Street Football World to distribute funds to programs all around the world that, all around the world that need it. And we think that Street Football World really has an additive effect by producing this easy conduit by which players, coaches, businesses, and clubs can make donations to these worthy causes. We think that they are increasing the overall quantitative resources that are available to programs that need it, programs that can really help people. So we're excited to announce that as well, and we hope to give you some updates on that in the future too. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Take care. Talk to you again soon.